The Southern Baptist Convention is the largest evangelical denomination in the U.S. with over 16 million on their rolls. In the last few weeks, their ranks have been rocked by contention and controversy. Let me read part of an article from the Baptist Press, which is the official news service of the Southern Baptist. The SBC Executive Committee affirmed a recommendation from the SBC Credentials Committee Tuesday, February 21st, so that's two or three weeks ago, to deem Saddleback Church as not in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. Now let me pause my quotation here for a moment to say that Saddleback Church is not just another Southern Baptist Church. It is probably the best-known Southern Baptist church in the world. Its founding pastor, Rick Warren, wrote a book entitled The Purpose Driven Church, which sold over a million copies. That book has probably influenced millions of pastors. Warren prayed at the inauguration of President Obama in 2009. So that's, that's the church we're talking about. So let me continue my quotation. And I'll let you look at something while I do that. Hopefully, hopefully I've got control here. Ah, there we go. The move comes less than a year after founding pastor Rick Warren left the helm of the church and was replaced by Andy Wood and his wife Stacy. While not co-pastors of the church, Andy serves as lead pastor of the church, while Stacy serves as a teaching pastor. The Credentials Committee cited Stacy's role as teaching pastor of the church as the reason for the removal of cooperating status due to the church's lack of a faith and practice that closely aligns with the Baptist faith and message. The Baptist faith and message is, is their, not really a creed, but it's essentially their standard. Which states in Article 6 that while both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by Scripture. In October 2022, Andy told Baptist Press that the two, quote, are not co-pastors, but have rather unique roles on staff, unquote. However, he added that, quote, we believe pastoring and teaching are functions and spiritual gifts to be exercised in the church by both men and women, unquote. Saddleback has the opportunity to appeal the decision at the SBC annual meeting in New Orleans on June 13th and 14th, the SBC bylaws provide a process for appeal by churches found not to be in friendly cooperation. And then let me read part of another article from the Jackson, Mississippi Clarion Ledger. The woman pastor at the center of the Southern Baptist Convention's decision to oust Saddleback Church, the California megachurch founded by pastor and best-selling author Rick Warren, says she will continue to serve as a ministry leader despite her long-standing ties to the nation's largest Protestant denomination. Stacy Wood, teaching pastor at Saddleback and wife of lead pastor Andy Wood, wrote an Instagram post about her church, church's ousting. She credited her Southern Baptist upbringing for shaping her faith, but stood firm on heeding her calling despite being at the center of the discussion, unquote. And this is a quote. I'm serving Jesus under the authority and in alignment with my spiritual leaders, Wood wrote. We believe that women can be gifted and empowered as teachers and as pastors, unquote. The largest evangelical denomination in America is exploding 
in conflict over whether women should pastor their churches. Now, most of us are well aware that females have been pastors for decades in mainline liberal denominations. Methodist, Lutheran, Anglican, Episcopal churches, even in Pentecostal churches, but not in Southern Baptist churches, not in most evangelical churches. The question that ought to concern us is what does the Bible teach about the role of women in the church? That is what the, the follower of Jesus Christ ought to be concerned about. He is our king. He is our lawgiver, as I often tell you. Moses isn't my lawgiver. Jesus Christ is my lawgiver. What does his word say? So this morning, we're going to explore the answer to that question. Now, our, our approach this morning is going to be a little bit different than normal. I'm not really going to be doing a straight exposition. Our, our, our approach is going to be to work through three passages of Scripture that speak most directly to the answer to that question and then to apply the principles from that Scripture in, in a practical way. So we're going to look at the scriptural basis first. The first passage that we're going to look at is the favorite. I hope you can see that. Is that big enough? The first passage is the favorite of those who believe that, that women can preach and pastor uh, in, in churches. It's found in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 3 through 5. So this is Paul writing to the Corinthians. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man, praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. Now, those of you who have been attending here at Midway for months will remember that we studied this passage about six months ago as we've been studying in 1 Corinthians. So this entire passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is about a practice that was normal in the culture of that day. Women wore head coverings, veils, in order to publicly demonstrate their submission to their husbands. And in this passage, Paul talks about what was happening in the worship services there in Corinth. The women were not doing that. And when he describes those worship services, he uses kind of a shorthand. He talks about praying and prophesying. It's a, it's a shorthand for worship. Praying is men and women speaking to God. Prophesying is God speaking to men and women. And, and you notice here in verses 4 and 5 that Paul uses exactly the same words of men and women. And so those who advocate for women preaching, teaching, pastoring churches, they say, see... Women can do everything that men can do in church services. And my reply to them is that, yes, women were doing everything that men were doing in the church services in Corinth. And there's a big difference. There's a, will you say it with me, huge difference. Remember, what was, what was the purpose of the letter that we call 1 Corinthians? Paul was correcting problems, problem after problem after problem. And Paul was a wise man. He solved them, he corrected them one at a time. Here in 1 Corinthians 11, which problem is he solving? 
He's dealing with the problem with the problem of women not wearing head coverings in public worship. And Paul was wise enough that at the same time he didn't try to solve the problem of women prophesying in public worship. Where does he correct that problem? You should know, we just, we've, we've just been in that passage. He corrects that problem in 1 Corinthians 14. We're going to be in that passage in just a minute. You see, what is is not always what should be. Particularly when you're in Corinth. Pastor weighs, well, I won't tell you what pastor weighs. But what I can tell you is that doesn't mean that every Christian should weigh what pastor weighs. And I can tell you that what was going on at Corinth is not what should be going on in every church. Now, this simple interpretation of 1 Corinthians 11 is set forth by some of the most eminent theologians of past centuries. John Calvin, Charles Hodge, but many modern evangelical commentators who do not embrace this interpretation, they end up doing hermeneutical gymnastics and backflips because they have to somehow explain how Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 it's okay for women to prophesy, and then in 1 Corinthians 14 him say it's not okay for them to prophesy. And if you want to read hermeneutical backflips, then read the commentaries. But it's real simple. Paul was not saying that it was okay. He was simply reporting what was going on in the confusion that were the services in the church at, at Corinth. Okay? And I probably have, have not, I probably have skipped a bunch of stuff that I was supposed to do here. That's why I don't like this. You see? Okay. Okay. All right, now let's turn to a second passage. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 33 through 36. Now, I said last Sunday that I would never have you turn to 1 Corinthians 14 again, and I'm as good as my word because I'm not asking you to turn. But at least three different people asked me about this issue. Here's what's interesting. I've been preaching for 35 years, and I have never preached on this issue until now. Because it's never been an issue in conservative circles until now. And we'll talk about that in my conclusion. Why now? So I felt that I, I needed to address it, even though I said I wasn't going to go back to 1 Corinthians 14. So we begin in the middle of verse 33. This is a case where I believe that whoever did the verse divisions, and you all are aware that the verse divisions are not inspired, right? You know how the verse divisions were done in the Bible, right? There was a guy riding horseback. And wherever the pen came down, that's where a verse division was, right? That's, you knew that, right? Anyhow, the verse division here is, I do not believe, is in, is in a good place. The last part of verse 33 actually ought to be the beginning of verse 34. And so that's the way, that's the way I've put it here. 
as in all the churches of the saints, let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in the church. Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it you only that it reached? Now, remember the situation that I described last Sunday in the Corinthian church. In their services, everyone was speaking at the same time. Prophecy, tongues, psalms, exhortation. Everybody speaking at the same time and nobody much listening. And women were speaking right along with the men. And Paul was seeking to to, to bring order back to their services. And there was a simple method of cutting out 20% or 30% or 40% or even 50% of the chaos. Let your women be silent in the church. The women were prophesying right along with the men. The women were speaking in tongues right along with the men. But Paul says, no, that must stop. And he gives at least three reasons here in this passage. First of all, in verse 33, Paul points to the practice of all the churches. Now, the Christian church has been accused of being anti-female, but that is bogus. The truth is that women would not have the liberties and the education that they have in the West today were it not for Jesus Christ and His church. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament teaches that women were equally created in the image of God. They have equality with men, equal dignity with men. Paul states that in Christ there's neither male nor female, joint heirs of the blessings of salvation, and that's reflected in the way that Jesus treated women. It's reflected in the way women were treated in the early church. If you go back into in the earliest part of church history, women well outnumbered men in the early church. Why was that? Because of the way they were treated in the early church. But even with all of that, in the early church, women didn't lead the church. Women didn't teach the church. This was not how things were in the apostolic church. And then at the end of verse 34, Paul gives a second reason. Paul appeals to the law, meaning the Old Testament law. And we're not really given exactly what Paul was thinking about, but most likely it was Genesis 3.16, where God said to Eve after the fall, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And as verse 34 makes clear, Keeping silent in the services is a matter of submission. And so Paul is rooting that submission apparently in that that passage from Genesis chapter 3 from early in the law. And then the final reason I find really interesting. In verse 36, Paul asks, Or did the word of God come originally from you, or was it you only that it reached? This is the Apostle Paul at his snarkiest. I mean, Paul snarks here. Did you know that the Apostle snarked? Did you invent the gospel? Are you the only people that heard from... I mean, that's essentially what he says. Are you the only people that heard from God? I mean, think about what was going on. Essentially what he says is, you know, the Corinthians had the chutzpah to invent ecstatic tongues. They had the brass 
to hold the kind of church service where everybody spoke at the same time and to think that was just great. And the women in the congregation had the audacity to join in prophesying right along with men. And none of that was done in any other church. And yet the fact that they were spiritual Thomas Edisons and they had invented all of this didn't even phase them. And so Paul got a little snarky with them. I think he was trying to, you know, this was like a verbal two-by-four upside the head. Intended to stop them in their tracks. Let the women keep silent. And this is the final reason. Did you guys invent the gospel? And then... I need to talk about one more point from this passage before we move on. Verse 35 introduces the idea of women asking their husbands questions in the church services. What is that about? And the answer is is probably back in, in verse 29, where it says, Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others judge. Now, think with me. If the women were prophesying, then the women were probably also... If the women were prophesying, the women were probably also judging. Now... This isn't the common word for judge, you guys that know the Greek. This isn't the, this isn't the word krino. This is the word diakrino. And it can have the, the idea of dispute. And if you know how things go in a church, when you judge things in a church, it can get to be a dispute, okay? And so you, you, can, you can get the idea here that, that the women were judging some of the prophesying and it got, to, it got to be kind of a dispute. And Paul is saying, look, if you're going to have some of these disputes, if you're going to question what's going on, take it home. This shouldn't be done in a church service. It's one more thing that should not be done in a public church service. So I don't think this actually is just talking about a woman having a question about, you know, in, about what's happening in a church service and she needs to wait, she needs to wait till she gets home to ask her husband what's going on. I don't think that's what's happening here. Again, we're talking about what's happening with prophets and, 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 and prophets being judged, the kind of thing that really doesn't take place in our services anymore. Um, and if we want to talk more about that, See me, sit down with me at lunch, we'll talk about it. Uh, We need to keep moving. All right, one more passage. Actually, the the most important passage, uh, because this is the passage that is most to the point of answering our question. The entire context here actually stretches from... um, from verse 9 all the way through verse 15... But we're just going to read verses 11 through 14 here. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression." So, first of all, three general observations to set the stage here. First of all, 1 Timothy is essentially a manual of church order. So these commands apply to behavior in the church, not to the home, not to the workplace. What's going on here, what Paul's talking about in this passage applies to the church. Okay. Second, Paul uses the words woman and man, not husband and wife. 
the passages that we just talked about in 1 Corinthians, those passages were directed to husband and wife. These passages are to man and woman. They are more general than the commands in 1 Corinthians. They concern all adults in the church. Okay? And then third, just to make sure you don't misunderstand, the word let in verse 11 is not giving permission. Okay? When you see that word let in the Old King James Version or in the New King James Version, that's a command. And so we could translate verse 11, a woman must learn in silence. So at the heart of this passage are two issues, two commands. In the church, a woman is not to teach, number one. And number two, in the church, a woman is not to exercise authority over a man. Now these verses seem so simple they're as simple as the readers I had back in, in uh, first grade. How many of you had those simple readers back there? See, Jane, run, you know, jump, spot, jump. Did you have those? Yeah, you don't want to admit you're as old as I am, right? Women must not teach. I mean, it's that women must not exercise authority over men. It is that simple, clean cut. Okay? And then Paul roots these, these two commands... In the, in the principle of submission, and that principle of submission, and this is important, is not rooted in culture. So often you hear the argument from evangelical feminists that Paul is nothing but a, fe- but, but, but a, a, uh, 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 there it is, chauvinist. Thank you. He's nothing but a chauvinist pig, okay? You know, he's just, he's just, it's all, it's all cultural with Paul. No, what does he root this in? He roots it back in creation. In the order of creation and in the, and in the, and in the story of the fall. Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman. This is based in Scripture, not in culture. Okay? So, that's the Scripture. Now we're ready for the application. And in particular, the application of that final passage of 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 through 14. Now, that passage is very simple, right? It's as simple as a first grade reader. But, we need to remember that just like every other passage of Scripture, we need to balance that passage of Scripture with other passages of Scripture. And in particular, we need to balance that passage of Scripture with the one another's. Now, those of you that, that, have been, that have been coming on Wednesday night, I don't remember how long ago it was, we went through all the one another's in the New Testament in, on our, in Wednesday night, you remember? Love one another, encourage one another, greet one another. And in particular, one of the most important is found in Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Who is that directed to? It's only, that's only directed to men, right? That's only directed to men, right? No. It's directed to everybody in the body. Every body in the body. Okay? So everyone is to teach. Similar passage found in, in Romans 15, 14. Now I myself am competent concerning you, brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and also able also to admonish one another. And that word often is is translated counsel one another. 
So the one another's are, where do the one another's take place primarily? They, they primarily take place in the workplace, right? They primarily take place in the home, right? No, they primarily take place in the church. Okay? So we have to find a balance here. Women are commanded to teach, and they're commanded not to teach. Uh-oh. How's that work? Well, I think we can untie the knot if we just get a hold of the right end. And I think the right end, I'm going to go back here. The right end. How do you how do you do the little the the uh, how do you do the the pointer thing? Cool. So the, the the if you want to get a hold of the thread, it's the word learn. Let a woman learn in silence. We saw that same word. That same word is back in 1 Corinthians 14 as well. The whole issue turns on understanding that these prohibitions of women teaching turn on settings where women are to learn the Word of God in church. Where the Word of God is being authoritatively taught in church. Remember? Well, now I need to go forward. Nope. Yeah. Remember, we've got, we've got authority... And we've got teaching. So when is a woman not to teach? In a setting where the Word of God is being authoritatively taught in the church. Okay? Does anybody anybody not get that? So that leads me to the primary application. No, let's back up. Do, do, do you get that? So, so, so can a can a can a woman counsel somebody one on one? Can a woman counsel a man one on one? I mean, like sitting at the table back here. Nobody's shaking their head. Everybody has the deer in the headlights look. Yeah. Could she admonish her husband? I don't know about you, but my wife does. What she can't do stand in a pulpit and authoritatively teach the Word to the people of God. And if she cannot authoritatively, if she must, as this says, remain silent in settings where the Word of God is being authoritatively taught, then she cannot be a pastor. That's the first application. If a woman must remain silent in settings where the Word of God is to be authoritatively taught, then she cannot be a pastor. 
Now, why do I say that? I say that based on the meaning of the word pastor. What is the word? What, what, what is, what's the word pastor mean? It's the word shepherd. What does a shepherd do? He feeds the flock. Okay. There's there's really only one place in the entire New Testament where the word pastor is used in the sense that we're talking about. It's Ephesians 4.11. And Jesus himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Notice that Jesus, excuse me, notice that Paul himself links the ministry of pastor and teacher. You don't have one without the other. It's not pastors and teachers separately. It's, in fact, some uh, English translation hyphenates them. Pastor-teacher. So that's the only place the noun is used. The verb is only used once in this, in this way. And that's in 1 Peter 5. The elders who are among you, I exhort, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. And here's Peter giving commands to elders. And what does he say? There it is. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Or you could translate it, pastor the flock of God which is among you. Or you could translate it, feed the flock of God which is among you. Or you could translate it, even teach the flock of God that is among you. How do elders do that? Paul tells us over in 1 Peter, First Timothy 5, verse 17, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and doctrine. And don't let the word doctrine throw you. That's just a big word for teaching. It's the same word in the original language, who labor in word and teaching. We have four elders here at Midway Bible Church, and we have one pastor. We have one person who labors in word and teaching. Can a female be an elder? who labors in word and teaching. As long as she's the husband of one wife. And maybe I shouldn't say that with the way the transgender thing is going. You see, this all, this all kind of fits together. You take a number of pieces. It's like, a, it's like a little puzzle. And you put all the pieces together, and the answer to this is no. A woman cannot pastor. You cannot fit the biblical pieces together. Now, we need to keep going, because there are, there are a few more applications that we, we need to fit in place. What, what about our afternoon service? Our second service each Sunday, I, I, I've got to emphasize this. Some of you, some of you are, are visiting with us and you don't know about our second service each Sunday. But I make very clear that I don't preach in our second service. Our second service is not a preaching service. I do not authoritatively teach in that service. That service is a service to do what? It's a service where we all build up one another. We all build up the body of Christ by doing what? By teaching one another, encouraging one another, sharing with one another. It is, it is intended for the body to build itself up in love. 
Now, I know that, that some of you ladies have a real problem opening your mouth in that second service. And the reason that you do is because of what it says in 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy chapter 2. Those passages don't apply to that second service. That's not what we're doing in that second service. You are part of the body, and you need to participate. You need to be building up the body. You need to be practicing the one another's in that second service. That's what that second service is for. What about a woman teaching adult, an adult Sunday school class that includes adult men? I mean, what if you have a woman who's a very gifted Bible teacher? Some very well-known evangelicals hold that Paul's teaching in these passages is, is based on some historical realities of his day. And, and there's, you know, there's some truth to this. Most women in Paul's day were not educated. Um, particularly Jewish women. Uh, the, the Jews thought that, that, that it was the wrong thing to do to educate a woman. And so, I mean, it was, it was really an unreasonable thing to think that women were going to teach when they were, when they were uneducated. And so today you would say, well, women are just as educated as men, so obviously they ought to be able to teach. And so many evangelicals have bought into that. But again, Paul's, Paul's argument in this passage is not based on the educational level of women, is it? It's based on the story of creation and the story of the fall. So should, should a, a highly educated, highly gifted woman be able to teach adult men? I hear whispers. Thank you. No. 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 She could teach adult women. She can teach children, I believe, up through junior age. I don't believe that that, uh, an, a, that, a, that a woman ought to teach teen, teen guys. I think teen guys need to be taught by men. Now let me flip the script here, okay? I've pastored small churches my entire ministry, 35 years. I've never had a problem finding enough female teachers. And I've always had a problem finding enough male teachers. In the two churches that I pastored before this one, I was the pastor and I was the youth pastor. I remember, I remember Wednesday nights when I would teach the teens for half an hour downstairs and then I would run upstairs and teach the adults for half an hour. And then I would go home and die. Because I couldn't find the man who was willing to, to lead the teens. Men, if we're going to if we're gonna if we're gonna believe scripture and we're gonna hold the scripture, then men are gonna have to step up. And then one more, one more application. Uh, once we get beyond these lines, those lines I think are pretty clearly drawn. At least in any church that I've been involved in since I was two years old, they've been clearly drawn. Get beyond this and, and the lines are about as clear as the Mississippi. Even in, even in the conservative, Bible-believing churches like ours. Let's take the matter of music. We must admit, based on Colossians 3.16, 
that what we sing is a form of public teaching. And I can, I can tell you here at Midway Bible Church, we insist that the songs that we sing in our services be doctrinally rich. We insist that our songs teach. And so we believe that it's correct that men lead our worship. They lead our singing. And yet, in two of the churches that I've pastored, including this one, we have had female choir directors. And I have been glad for those very talented female choir directors. (laughs) If songs are a form of teaching... Think of some of your favorite hymn writers. Fanny Crosby. Francis Havergal. In our new songbook, there are several songs each by Twyla Paris. Cindy Berry. Vicki Cook. We sang one of those songs this morning. Should we tear them out? If a lady sings a solo to us in a worship service, is she not teaching us authoritatively? Are the clouds building overhead? The gloom beginning to descend? Well, I'm, I'm just trying to get you to think. Because there's a good answer to these questions. I'm not only the pastor here at Midway Bible Church, I am the worship pastor here at Midway Bible Church. I select the songs. I vetted every song in the new songbook. I select the songs that we sing in the worship services on Sunday morning. I discuss the songs with Caleb and with Josh that we sing in the second service. I know what the choir and the special music groups and soloists are going to sing. The teaching of those songs, hear me, the teaching of those songs is under my authority. If there is false teaching, I am to blame. I take the music that we sing very seriously. Many pastors don't. I do. So I am responsible for the authoritative teaching of the singing at Midway Bible Church. I'm as responsible for that as I am for the teaching that comes from this pulpit. So now you can let the breath out. No worries. But let me give you some questions to think about. Just something to think about while you're eating that. uh... Did you you bring some ribs today, brother? Brisket? You brought some brisket? While you're eating some of that brisket that, that Robert brought. There's, let, me, let, me, uh, let me ask you about some of these activities that, that women might do in public worship services. Should ladies do these or not? And if so or, or not, why? Should they lead in prayer? Should they read Scripture? Should they give announcements? Should they give a personal testimony? Should they help distribute the Lord's Supper? Why or why not? Do participating in any of those imply authority over men in some way? I mean, they're up front. 
What about speaking in a in a church business meeting? We're, we're going to have our annual business meeting here in a few weeks. What about that? What about some activities that are not in, in the actual services, but they are part of what goes on in the church? What about serving as Sunday school superintendent? Church secretary? Church treasurer? What about serving as a counselor in the church? Just something for you to chew on, think about. I don't necessarily have all the answers to some of these. In some of these cases, churches, churches, a local church has to develop a conscience, as it were, a, a practice, a policy. We already have in terms of what we do with a choir director, but we have a rationale for that. But some of these others, perhaps, we, we haven't thought through. We live in a day of expressive individualism rather than submissive obedience. Let me repeat that. We live in a day of expressive individualism rather than submissive obedience. And it has invaded even the church. And so we have people today who say, but God has given me this gift. And therefore, that means that I ought to be able to serve in this role, even though Scripture is clear that they can't. And they believe that their giftedness or what they believe is their giftedness trumps what Scripture says. When in fact, what Scripture says ought to trump everything else. Submissive obedience needs to trump my individual individuality or my individualism. You see, we are called disciples. You know what the word disciple means? It means to be a follower. Have you bend, bent the knee to Jesus Christ? You said, Lord Jesus, I will follow you. I will obey. 